Hey, Connection Point Church. I am so excited to continue our series. He's still got the whole world in his hands. Now, over the past uh, few weeks, we've kind of made this statement that uh, even when turmoil is all around us, that God always proves himself certain in uncertainty. And so today I want to go into the Old Testament and I want to show you how powerful our God is. We're going to look at what is one of my favorite stories. It's so awesome. It's actually in the Bible twice. It's in 2 Kings 18 and 19 and in Isaiah 36 and 37, which is where we're going to be today. Now, the thing I like about this story is, have you ever felt like maybe you don't want to call upon the name of God in front of people? Like maybe you're kind of scared that you could make God look bad if, if you're praying too big of prayers or you're asking him to do too much we know in this COVID crisis, that's kind of where some of us are, are kind of shying back. In fact, I've even heard people kind of mock the idea of, of giving prayers as a way to solve this crisis. But today I want to show you, I want to give you some just courage to be bold in your faith because we have a powerful God. And we're going to start off, I just have a question for you. And this one may be for the guys, but if, you know, ladies, if you, if you have an answer, I'd love to hear it. Just go ahead, put it in the comments. And it's this. Who is the greatest trash talker of all time? If you were to make a list of who you think tra talks the best trash, who would it be? Now for me, you might say, uh, you know, I, Muhammad Ali, good. Michael Jordan was pretty good. One of my favorites, Gary Payton, pretty good. Uh, also, you know, Conor McGregor is kind of a, a one that right now comes to mind. But for me, the all-time greatest would be, woo, Ric Flair. Ric Flair, I think, was the best talk trash, trash talker. But today I wanna to introduce you to who is the best talk, trash talker in the Bible. And uh, to set the stage, I, I wanna just read from Isaiah chapter 36. This is what it says. Now in the 14th year, King Hezekiah, he was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against the fortified cities of Judah, and he took them. Now, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and the Assyrian uh, army was formidable. The Assyrian empire was a big deal. In fact, they had already crushed the northern empire of Israel. Israel does not exist. There's only the kingdom of Judah in the south, which is two of the remaining tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And King Hezekiah, the king of it, has been paying uh, a tribute to Assyria so that they won't come in and attack him. But God really has stirred in Hezekiah's heart. And so Hezekiah has decided, you know what? We are not going to bow down to the king of Assyria, to Sennacherib. We are going to, to just trust God. And so this made Sennacherib so mad. He, he came in and just started squashing cities in Judah. In fact, he crushed 46 cities. And the last city that he, he crushed before he got to Hezekiah's hometown or, or, or where Hezekiah was living in Jerusalem, it was a, a town called Lachish. It says this, it says, and the king of Assyria sent Rebshekah. Now Rebshekah is a title for basically a bodyguard. He would have been the number one bodyguard, the cupbearer actually. Now the cupbearer was kind of like the secret service. The cupbearer would be someone who tastes the soup before the king would eat it. So he's kind of the guy that would take a bullet for the king. He's a tough dude. Now I want you to remember Rebshekah because I'm gonna call him Rabshekah the Trash Talker. Rabshakalaka the Trash Talker. Let's go with that, it rhymes, it flows, okay? Rabshakalaka the, the Trash Talker. This guy talks so much noise. Now, Rabshakalaka comes from a, the, the city of Lachish, 
which is kind of like the Fort Worth to, to our Dallas. So if Jerusalem is Dallas, Lachish is Fort Worth. It's a, it's a big city, it's second in the area. The economy is great, it's booming. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty nice city. You wouldn't think that it would be able to be crushed so easy. But Assyria comes into Lachish and basically demolishes it. They go up to the walls, and I'm standing by a wall. Imagine if, you're, uh, if, if your walls are being sieged by a foreign army and you look over the walls, and this is what they would have seen at Lachish. They would look over and they, they were putting men on pikes that as Assyria would capture men, they would impale them, and then they would put them up on these big pikes. And so you might look over the wall to shoot an arrow or throw a rock at the invading army, and you see your, your neighbor Johnny just kind of up there, and they were also flaying them alive. And so they were terrified behind the wall. They were terrified. And then as the king sees and he knocks the wall over, he takes the town of Lachish, and the next thing that happens is he sends his main trash talker, uh, Reb Shakalaka, the trash talker, he, he sends him to Jerusalem. He sends him from Fort Worth to Dallas, and he begins to have a message. And this is the message that he has. He says to King Hezekiah, who's, who's behind the wall in Jerusalem, he says to him, what are you doing? This is in, this is a, the Joel paraphrase of verse, uh, starting at verse four in Isaiah 36. He says, do you even have a strategy here? Or is your strategy just to, to use words of, hey, go away, Assyria? Because that's a bad strategy. And your strategy of calling on other armies to fight your battles, because uh, the king of, of, of Judah had actually called uh, Egypt, his kind of neighbor country, and said, hey, can you come fight this battle with us? And, and Reb Shakalaka says, you know what, that's awful. Have you ever actually fought against Israel? Anyone who is friends with Israel, it's like having a broken stick. Every time you try to grab it, it just hurts your own hand. It doesn't even hurt the person you're trying to hit it with. He says, that's a horrible strategy. And then his next trash talk is, you know, maybe you're going to just trust in God. Well, that's a great strategy. You know, every single place that has, has come up against us has already been destroyed. And they've all said, hey, our God is tough. And we've just burned those gods to the ground. And yet you're going to say your God is the God? That's a crazy thing. He goes on and he, and he says, listen, here's what I'll do. And now he's mocking him. He says, I'll make you a bet. Instead of going to Egypt and asking for horses and asking for warriors, we'll give you 2,000 horses. Assyria, the invading army says, let me do this. I'll give you 2,000 horses and I bet you can't even put warriors on those horses. And he says, in fact, you can have your whole army come out against us and I bet you can't even uh, beat our worst general. And he's just talking trash and talking trash, so much so that a few guys come over the wall they come up to Reb Shakalaka, the trash talker, and they said, hey, 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 shh, can you just keep it down a little bit? Everybody's kind of hearing you. And yet, if you've ever been around a trash talker, used to when I would play basketball, anytime somebody was talking a lot of noise, it would really stir everybody up. And so they, they try to, you know, to calm him down. And Reb Shakalaka, if you, if you tell a trash talker to quit talking trash, what does he do? First thing he's gonna do is he's gonna talk louder. And so that's what Reb Shakalaka does. He begins to talk to the people on the other side of the wall, and this is what he says. Now this is, is a devastating burn, so to speak. He says, you know, I have come here to talk to all of the people that can hear me, and I need to be talking to them because they're the ones that are doomed to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine. Now, the, the people from, the, the leaders from 
Jerusalem are, are like, shh, quit saying that. Quit talking like that. Can you use a different language? Can we speak Aramaic instead of Hebrew? Because I don't want all the people to hear that. And then he gets really loud and he begins to start speaking to the people over the wall. And this is what he says. Hey, don't listen to your King Hezekiah. He's going to tell you to trust in the Lord. Do not trust in God. He, he says again, Every single place we have invaded has told us how awesome their God is and we have destroyed all those gods. And then he says, listen, if you come with me, if you'll just, as they say, bend the knee, if you will bend the knee, then I'm going to give you all that you can want. I'm going to give you vineyards. I'm going to give you your own cisterns. As uh, Lloyd Christmas would say, it's going to be like Aspen. It's going to be a place where the beer flows like a wine. He says, it's gonna be so awesome if you will just come and just start paying us tribute. Just bow down to the king of Assyria. And all the people get really, really quiet. And they don't know what to do. And they go back to Hezekiah and Hezekiah, he, he pulls a Hulk Hogan. He just starts tearing his clothes. And as he's tearing his clothes, he doesn't know what to do. And that's when a man named, a man named Isaiah comes in. And Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah can hear from God, but not only can he hear from God, he can speak for God. And Isaiah comes in, and this is what Isaiah says. He says, listen, do not fear. Do not fear Assyria. They have been mocking me, and because they have been mocking God, I will put a spirit in the king of Assyria, and I will send him back the way he came, and eventually he will die in his own land. Now, I can only imagine that this would have been a, a source of comfort, you know, how many of us have just felt at our lowest point and then you're like, what's going to happen next? And, and then you get this word from the Lord, it's going to be okay, it's going to be all right. And it's funny because it's always at that moment when you feel like you've got a, a word from the Lord, you feel like you, you finally have a direction of where it's going to go and then who shows up? Reb Shakalaka, the trash talker, he comes right back at King Hezekiah and this is what he says. He says, King Hezekiah, we're getting tired of waiting on you. And, and he says, you keep calling on God and it is the wrong thing to do. And, and, and you got to understand at this point, Reb Shakalaka is a little upset because the Egyptian army actually is coming. And so he's kind of pressed for time now. He doesn't want to fight two battles. And so he puts down the ultimatum. He throws down the gauntlet and he says, listen, we're doing this thing. We are coming and no one has ever been delivered from the nation of Assyria. No God has ever overcome us. And he says, this is the night it's going to happen. And so Hezekiah, now I'm in verse uh, chapter 37, verse 14. This is really what's amazing to me about this story. Hezekiah comes in, he receives this letter of more trash talk from Rab Shakalaka, the trash talker. He, he receives this and then he it says, Hezekiah went up into the house, into the temple, the house of the Lord, and he spread the letter before God. And, and so he, he takes this, he takes the worst news. He takes the things that he's finally, he says, I can't do anything. I'm at my wits end. I can't do anything about this. And he doesn't want to just say, hey, our God's awesome. Our God's going to do this. Because in the back of his mind, he's kind of thinking, if I put our God out there like all the others have, man, maybe God isn't going to show up. Maybe God can't show up. I don't know, have you, have you even had that thought when people start saying, you know, prayer doesn't work or, you know, God isn't going to save us from COVID-19 or from this crisis and God can't save, he can't restore, he's not going to do this. Maybe you've had this thought of, I don't want to be too bold in my faith. 
Hezekiah is kind of at that moment. And so instead of just talking trash back to Reb Shakalaka, he goes in and he spreads this letter out and he says, God, this is what they're saying about you. They're saying you can't work. They're saying you can't do this. And he says, listen, I know I've, I've made mistakes. I know I've been wrong, but Lord, I want you to be honored. I don't, this isn't about me. I don't want great things for me, but I, I can't stand them talking about you like this. And, and, and he says, truly Assyria has laid waste all over the nations in their lands and they've cast gods into fire, but those were not gods. They were simply the work of men's hands and, woods and wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So God, O oh Lord, save us from the hands that, the all, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. And it's at this moment as he's praying and he's saying, God, show us how awesome you are. Show, show, show us what you really can do that Isaiah comes back in. And Isaiah comes back in and he's going to talk some trash on behalf of God. And I'll tell you that whenever Reb Shakalaka tra talks trash, it's kind of that clever, you know, kind of schoolyard trash talking. But when the Lord talks trash, when Isaiah comes in and speaks for the Lord, it is with authority. It's as if, you know, the king is going to lay down the gauntlet and there's nothing you can do about it. And he begins to say, who are you mocking Sennacherib? Who are you mocking Assyria? Do you even know who I am? He says, I, I, I've, I've seen what you can do with chariots and with horses, but do you not know that I can tip over the top of the tallest cedar tree? Do you not know that I am the one who created those cedar trees? And then he says, I've been planning this moment from the beginning of days to crash you into heaps of ruin. And he says, I know you're sitting down. I know you're going in and coming out. And because you raged against me, your complacency, your, just, your, your boldness has come to my ears. And so I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth. And I'm going to drag you back to Assyria where you came from. And this is what I'm going to do to my people. You've destroyed their fields. You've destroyed their, the way that they're going to survive. You've taken their jobs. So what I'm going to do is before you die, you're going to see that they're not going to miss a meal. They're going to have their fields restored and they're going to have seasons of plentiful harvests. In other words, I'm going to redeem. I'm not just going to save them from this. I'm going to make sure that they are redeemed and restored back to where they were. And here's what's amazing about this. We actually have from archaeology, we have the account from Assyria. And we know that Assyria had not only defeated Egypt, Assyria had defeated all of the surrounding lands. And when it comes to Jerusalem, they laid siege to it. And Sennacherib even brags about laying siege to it. But for some reason, they don't talk about capturing Jerusalem because even Assyria admits they never captured Jerusalem. Now, why is that? History says that it never happened. But when you read the biblical account, it's amazing. This is in verse 36 of chapter 37. It says, That night an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camps of the Assyrians. All the, the warriors who were surrounding Jerusalem about to capture it. An angel of the Lord went out, struck down 185,000. And when they arose in the morning, behold, all they saw were dead bodies. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned home to Nineveh. And then we know that about 20 years later, verse 38 actually happens. As he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, his sons coming, came in and they struck him down with a sword. 
in history, the, the accounts from history tell us that he actually was worshiping when his sons killed him about 20 years after this event. Now, it's so amazing to me that when we have something so powerful, could this really have happened? You know, the Greek historian who wasn't a believer, he wasn't a Christian, Herodotus, he actually says that on this night, a, a plague of mice came in and ravaged the Assyrian army. But he, he said history attested something happens. So when we're thinking about whether or not it's worth our time to spend praying about God, we have an army invading our walls. Maybe we should fight and get the best strategy. But when we look at history and the times where God has proven himself most, uncertain, or most certain, it's always been when there's this uncertainty and all we can do is call on the Lord. And so this story, more than any story in history, I think, other than the resurrection, is not only attested by history, but it proves the power of our God. And so... Wherever you are right now, whether it's fear, maybe you're just discouraged that God is moving too slow, I want to encourage you to not give up faith, to trust in God because He still has the whole world in His hands. Well, y'all, welcome again. We're excited to uh, be here for another Sunday. And today I have a very special guest. I have the First Lady of CPC. <laughs> I have my wife, Erica. And so, Erica, first of all, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, and let's just start off. We just heard a powerful story of, of God moving in a big way. So I just want to know, what's your reaction to the story? What's your favorite part of the, of the story we just heard? My favorite part was that King Hezekiah just went straight to the temple and went straight to God. You didn't see him get fearful. He just went to God with, with his big prayer. Yeah, and for me, my favorite part of it is just seeing that God can do big things. That sometimes uh, you get a, uh, something like, like a story where an entire city, and this was the city of, of the entire nation, the biggest city, most powerful nation coming against it, and to see God be able to turn them away, not just be able to turn them away, do it dramatically and predict that he was going to do it. To me, uh, this is just all that you want in a biblical story. And the thing I love about it also is history attests to this story, that we have the Assyrian version of this story, and we know that, that God did something here that was powerful. Now, um, as we discuss this, I want to remind y'all that my wife is here not just because uh, she's eye candy and looks beautiful, but it's also because uh, she actually is, is here for a reason. She represents you. So as we discuss this, I'm going to ask her some questions. And really what I hope is that as she's answering, you'll listen to her answer, but you'll also respond with your answer in the comments and that you'll interact with us because we would love uh, for you to be thinking about these questions as well and answering them um, as well. And so the first question that I want to ask to you, Erica, is we had uh, Reb Shakalaka, the trash talker. We had, uh, we had him insulting Hezekiah in a lot of different ways. And one of the th ways that he insults him is saying, hey, do you even know if God's on your side? Maybe God doesn't even like you. Maybe he's on my side. And so have you ever had doubts about God's goodness or doubts about his desire to move on your behalf? I have. And especially during this time, back maybe a month ago, 
I was really questioning God's goodness because I was really, I was focused on the media. I was looking at all the graphs and all the statistics and I was, you know, getting caught up in that and letting fear just kind of take over me. And so I started asking God, where are you? What are you doing in this? Why are you doing this? And I even pictured him up in heaven just kind of watching it all go down and it just, it hurt me. And so I had to be intentional about just looking for God and looking for his goodness because I just felt like there wasn't any. Right. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear how, uh, like how you look for him and stuff. For me, I know that, uh, I've always kind of uh, struggled when I when I was growing as a Christian. I would struggle with this uh, idea. I was every single week when I would go to church, I would be told God loves me. God loves you, Joel. God loves you. And so I believed that God loved me, but it really was hard for me to believe that God liked me. In other words, I would see God do things in, in other people's lives, and I would say, of course, because God likes them. But I, I would always feel as if, even though he loves me and there's things he has to do for me, and I understood he died for my sins and all of those things, but it was hard for me to really believe that he liked me enough and he wanted to move on my behalf. And so, um, so it was a process for me as well. That was a huge obstacle to my faith for a while. Um, and so what were some of the things, just out of curiosity, that you did to kind of look for God? Well, I at least every day find one way that God is either working or some way I see his goodness. So I I write it down. So even just praise, praises and answer prayers and saying, or like for me, I work with tiny babies. And so seeing a baby born is like, wow, God is working. Yeah. And, and babies are still being born and life is still happening. And so he, he is still good. And even though if we're focused on the world and what's going on, it just, I feel like we just see a lot of darkness. But if we look for those things, I feel like we, we can turn to the light and see yeah. goodness. That's awesome. That's very good. Um, now, one of the things that Rebshika, uh Reb Shakalaka, the trash talker, kept saying, is he kept saying uh, basically that, do you not realize that everything you've put your trust in has failed? And he's really kind of setting uh, the, the kingdom of Judah and Hezekiah up to make God look bad. In other words, he's saying, every single nation has said the things you're saying. Every single nation has said that their God is the best and they've all fallen. Every single nation has put their trust in a leader and that leader has fallen. And so Hezekiah does something very unusual, but also, I think, very powerful. He goes into the temple with the letter that has these threats against him, these letters that he knows he cannot change, that he cannot fight the Assyrians. Uh, they're too strong, too powerful. So he spreads out. That's what the text says. Is he spreads out the letter, and he just spreads it before God, and he says, God, this is what they're saying about you, and he lays his soul bare. But what I love about the story is not only does he lay his soul bare, he also prays a bold prayer. He says, God, you have to move. This is yours to move. And so he basically says, God, you need to fight this battle. And so the question I would have, Erica, for you is, first of all, have you ever laid your soul bare before God? Maybe what does that, that look like? But second of all, after laying your soul bare, did you then have the 
the gut, sometimes it's hard to pray, hey God, this is where I'm at. I can't do anything about it. I want you to fix this and I'm going to pray it boldly so that other people know, even in this hard circumstance, I'm trusting God to fix it. Have you ever laid your soul bare and then put it out there to God to fix that situation? Well, the biggest thing I think of is our son's diabetes. From the beginning, I absolutely was laying my soul bare, just asking God to just help us and help us get through it. But I honestly have never prayed a bold prayer of healing or a miracle of healing for his diabetes. I think just being a medical person, it's never happened that I know of. And almost putting God in a box saying, God can't do this almost, or maybe he won't do it. And just protecting myself from disappointment in that and just more um, praying for God to use use his disease. Yeah, you pray good things. Uh, like you're praying that God will use him and, and sustain yeah, him. Yeah, but. and for you know his glory to be known because of Clayton's disease. But I have never been like King Hezekiah where I've just laid it all out there and, and just expected a miracle. Right. And I think that, you know, I think all of us to some degree kind of struggle with that. I, I kind of think of it as Sometimes I feel like I'm God's PR firm and that I'm the one that has to make sure that I don't say anything too crazy, put too crazy of expectations on God, because then people might look outside and say, oh, well, you know, God's got to show up then. And if he doesn't, I feel like it's on me. If I, I said he's, I prayed this bold prayer and God didn't do it, I'm going to make God look bad to them. But then there's that other side of where sometimes I, I, I don't want to pray it too big of a prayer because then... If God doesn't show up, I have to kind of live with my faith being that, you know, God really doesn't show up in these big ways. And so I think it's a powerful thing to see Hezekiah say, hey, I'm putting it out there. You know, it reminds me when this whole COVID uh, situation occurred, uh, began, I met with the elders and we just kind of talked through where God, we thought God was leading, how we were going to navigate this. And I had all these plans and strategies that I, I kind of thought this is where we could go. This is how we could do it. And it was my brother who's an elder. Jeremy said, you know, I'm just excited. I'm kind of anticipating something big. He said, if God's doing something that's affecting the whole world, I really think we're going to see God do something we have never seen. I think we're going to see a miracle. And as I heard my brother say this and his faith just put it out there, I thought, man, why didn't I default with expecting a miracle, expecting yeah. God to reveal himself in a way he maybe have ne has never done in our generation. So yeah. it was a powerful moment when I realized I need to be praying big prayers. And you know, one of the things about this story that I love is just the fact that God does prove himself as more powerful than anything anyone has really ever seen. And when he doesn't just say that he is going to protect Israel. He doesn't say he's going to win the battle, which he does. He also says he's going to redeem and restore what they've lost. Because you've got to understand, as, as uh, Syria came in, they destroyed the fields of, the, uh, of Judah, and they, they destroyed all of the ways that they were going to sustain, sustain themselves afterwards. And God said, I'm going to restore those fields as well. In fact, there's a, a psalm that I'm going to ask you to read, Psalm 126. And Psalm 126 was written, it's a psalm of ascent, 
And which that basically means as they would go up into the temple, they would recite this psalm. And this is a psalm that, that was written about the account of the Assyrian uh, invasion of Jerusalem. And so it's about this episode, and, and it's basically one just praising God for restoring and redeeming and uh, the things that they had lost. And so, Erica, if you would, just read okay. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. That's, uh, that's great. He, he says so many powerful things that are going to be restored. He says they're going to be able to dream again. He says they're going to uh, have joy restored, but they're also going to be able to go out and sow in their fields. They're going to have God sustain them. And I know throughout all of this, we're praying that God will save us. In other words, that he's going to uh, provide for us and do all the things he's promised. We, we in faith believe he's going to save us. But we also need to understand that we can have expectations of God redeeming and restoring some of the things we've lost. And so the, the question I want to ask you now, Erica, is what are you praising God in faith for that he is going to redeem and restore after he saves us through this time? Well, I just really miss my people. I miss my family. I miss our church, our just community. I pray for restoration of our community and yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, obviously a lot of us are praying that jobs will be restored, um, but there's, there's a lot of things we want redeemed. In other words, we don't just want them back. We want to make sure that the, the experience we've had has maybe changed, the, uh, changed us a little bit. And so we want to take the good things that God has taught us, the lessons that God has taught us that he can save. So what are the things that you hope we kind of keep in place that we redeem, that God will redeem in our lives going forward? I think the, just the simplicity of our lives right now, just being slow, slow, we're, we've slowed down a lot. And I, think that before this we were just busy all the time our schedules were so busy and I feel like I would love for in the future for us to just have this simplicity in, yeah. in our yeah. day I think that's a big one you know for me one of the things that uh, as a pastor there's a thousand things I could be doing but now I, I've got focus I know that Really, I need to be in the Word. I need to be teaching my kids when it's my time to, to teach my kids. I need to be checking on people, specifically my, my connect group. There's just there's a focus of, you know, this is what life is about. It's about these relationships. Let's make sure my kids, let's make, make sure my wife uh, is doing good, that you're healthy. And really, if I make sure uh, the check-in on church people, that's what's expected of me. And there's a lot of things that, that I've in my identity that have kind of just fallen away. I'm not worried right now whether I'm failing or whether I'm uh, preaching uh, the best sermons. Really, I'm making sure I'm in the Word. I'm making sure that my heart is right so that I can check in on people. So I love that that focus um, also, just knowing this is really what God expects of us, is just to follow Him and put our hearts into Him. 
and be good Christ followers or Christ followers who are trusting him. And I, I also, I, I want to in the future, just seek God constantly. And I feel like that's what I've been doing right now is on my way to work. I am just seeking God and filling my heart with, you know, his truth. And I'm doing that as I'm teaching kindergarten. Right. I, I need him. <laughs> I need him. And I want to, as life gets back to normal and back to just the busy busyness of life, I want to be seeking him all day long, right. all day long, Where whether I'm coming, going um, with my kids, I want to be seeking him and being intentional with that. You know, I even wonder if part of the reason this is uh, still going on is that uh, there's still some of us that are just so tied up into uh, the news and the media and that God is just calling us, hey, you've got to step outside. You've got to trust me to move in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, well, Erica, thank you very much for uh, discussing this and, and just being a part of this. I really appreciate it. Um, before we go, I do want to uh, have a little contest. Now, on uh, earlier in the week, I sent out a video to kind of just prep for this, and I gave three dates that uh, in the, that I think are helpful for every single believer uh, should know these three Old Testament dates because they just kind of give a perspective to the, uh, the context of the Old Testament. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a question in just a second. And if you get the question right, you're going to win dinner from the Texas Roadhouse. And basically that means I'm going to email you a gift card. But that's a pretty nice yeah. dinner. We had it not too long ago yeah. and it was fantastic. <laughs> now, uh, the question that I'm going to ask is this. And, the, and by the way, if you... Everyone answers. If you get it right, then you're going to be entered into the drawing. So that means if enough people get the right answer, you might just say, oh, that seems like it might be the right <laughs> answer. Uh, here's the question. What year did the kingdom of Israel divide into two different nations? The kingdom of Israel divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And what year did I say that that happened? Now, if you know that, go ahead and put it in the comments, and uh, later on in the day, we are going to uh, let you know who won. But until then, I just want to uh, say thanks for joining us and worshiping with us. Thank you, Erica, for being here, and I really hope that this has been um, encouraging to you to remember that God is a powerful God, that God can win battles while we're asleep. And that that should just always remind us when we're overwhelmed that he's still got the whole world in his hands. Thank you all very much.